All the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Do you all have a favorite number? Apropos to today, my favorite number is actually number three. Long before I became a theologian, somehow the number three kept coming to me. Uh, I recall in elementary school, I was often third in line for lining up in the class, like alphabetically, you know, having an A name, I was near the front of the class, but being A-R, Arcadi, meant I was behind the Alvarezes and Andersons who came a little earlier in the alphabet. When I played my first sport as a kid, the very first time I was playing, uh, playing soccer, I, I was just given a number, given a jersey, and it was number three. And I think it was because smaller number, smaller size, and I was kind of a, a little kid back in the day. So three became my favorite number because it seemingly chose me. And of course, three is a significant number for Christians, as we see it throughout Scripture. Uh, there are three main patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three gifts of the Magi, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three witnesses to the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. Three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. Three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And in both our Isaiah and Revelation reading this morning, we see the angels constantly praising God by saying, holy, holy, holy. And of course, on this Trinity Sunday, the one Sunday of the year where a theologian gets to go all crazy on theology, we recall that God is three, three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. But how are we to understand this apparent oddity of our faith? Wouldn't it just be easier to think of God not as three in one, but just three or just one? Well, yeah, it probably would be easier, but it wouldn't make sense of God's revelation of himself in Scripture and through the theological reflection of the church. Rather, the doctrine of the Trinity is not just some unnecessary complication of our ideas about God, but makes the most sense of Scripture's portrayal of God and gives us confidence as we walk into our future. So I actually want to start this morning with a brief tour of some of the key documents found in our prayer book. So let me be your literary tour guide here for a moment. You don't have to look this up, but feel free to grab the nearest small red book if you like. There's all kinds of goodies in the prayer book. Um, so I start with a small selection on page 767, way back in the back of the book there from the fundamental declarations of our province. <laughs> These are some of the key foundational ideas that represent how the Anglican Church in North America is receiving the Christian faith through the Anglican tradition. 767, thanks Mike, that's right. <laughs> nope. And when we see in the, and we see in this section here, we have a selection from the 39 Articles of Religion. And the th fundamental declaration says this, we receive the 39 Articles of Religion of 1571 as expressing the fundamental principles of authentic Anglican belief. So you got to do a little bit of history. But in the middle of the 16th century, when a bunch of folks in England were trying to figure out what it means to be Christian but not Roman Catholic, they took on the practice of writing these short little articles, short little statements of faith that give their take on some of the important theological issues of the day. And by, by 1571, these articles roughly coalesced into 39. And if you flip over a few pages on page 775, Article 8 says this, or is entitled this, of the three creeds. There's that number again. The three creeds are this. The three creeds, the Nicene Creed, Athanasius' Creed, and that which is commonly called the Apostles' Creed, ought thoroughly to be received and believed, for they may be proved by most certain warrants of Holy Scripture. Some good 16th century language there. 
And this part of our liturgical year, we're actually in the midst of using all three of these creeds. The Nicene Creed is what we normally say week in and week out on Sundays, and we'll say that next week. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is the baptismal creed, which we say at baptisms, like we did last week. And today we'll recite the Athanasian Creed, as, as Trinity Sunday is the one Sunday per year when this creed is said. If you flip over a few more pages, page 769, you'll find the Athanasian Creed, which also is printed in your, in your bulletin as a bulletin insert. So now, look, the Athanasian Creed is kind of long, and it's a bit repetitive, it's kind of clunky, and we only say it once per year. But it does express some of these fundamental principles of authentic Anglican belief. And I'm of a mind that if we're going to say something in our Sunday liturgy, it might be a good idea to understand a bit of what it says and how it helps us to grasp Scripture's portrayal of God. So I'm sorry, not going to walk through the entire Athanasian Creed. We'd, we'd be here all day. But let's just focus in on one of the first affirmations right at the top, which says this. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Now we're going to hear some of the same terminology about persons and substance a little bit later on in our liturgy when the celebrant reads the preface during the Eucharistic consecration that refer to one God in trinity of persons and in unity of substance, right in our liturgy. And this terminology is also expressed in the first of the 39 articles when it says, in unity of this Godhead there be three persons of one substance. So what's going on here? How are we supposed to understand this terminology about substances and persons without our eyes glazing over as we stare blankly at the, at the page? Well, first, what's substance here in this context? If we were in a chemistry class, Peter can correct me if I'm wrong here, we learn all about chemical substances, as having a, 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 some sort of matter of a, a constant chemical composition and, and characteristic properties, or so says Wikipedia, I hope. I got that right? But, but the creed is not talking about chemical compounds or alloys, or sometimes we, we, we use the term substance to talk about substance abuse, but that's not it either. This, this is the Holy Spirit, not another kind of spirit. But substance here is used in a more philosophical sense, and we have some philosophers around here. I'm sure if we asked all of them, we'd probably get a dozen answers to what a substance is. My favorite definition of substance I heard when I was in college, which was this, a substance is a word that makes philosophers do a palm upwards gesture, as if they were holding an indivisible ball. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, a substance of a thing. Oh, what is that? Well, I think what's going on here in this sort of philosophical, theological context is that it refers to the, the what it is of a thing, the kind of thing that something is. Substance here means what a thing is. Sometimes we use synonyms like essence or nature to refer to what substance means in this context. And in fact, if we go back on our tour of the prayer book, when we see the Nicene Creed, we see that Jesus Christ is referred to as of one being with the Father. And that term being there in the Nicene Creed translates the same word that substance here in English is translating in the Athanasian Creed. So the substance of a thing is the what it is of something, the kind of thing that it is. So what is it then when we're talking about God? Well, it's God. <laughs> Substance here is the nature of divinity, which is the being of God. And in these Trinitarian controversies that these creeds were written to address, what was important about this kind of thing, this divine kind of thing, that has the substance of divinity, is that God is one, and that there is only one God. 
So when these statements are talking about God as an undivided substance, a unity of substance, or as one substance, they're affirming the Christians think that there is only one God who is at complete unity. And this then reaffirms the monotheism of Christianity, which goes back to our Old Testament Hebrew heritage from a place like Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the Catholic faith, the Catholic faith is this, that we have one God. By affirming the unity and the singularity of God, we, uh, we affirm the monotheism of Christianity, but th that's not it, though. God is not just one. God is also three. One in nature or substance, according to these statements, according to these statements but three in persons. And person's another tricky word in a philosophical, theological context. Most of the persons we run into on a daily basis are human persons. And so we might be tempted to think that only humans are persons. At least some of you might think that person refers to your canine companions. I'm not so sure about that. But in this context, person is a word that we use to refer to specific examples of certain kinds of things, certain kinds of things like humans, angels, and God. Specific instances of human nature, angelic nature, or the divine nature are called persons. Like when I look out at all of you here, I don't just see like one mass of humanity. I see individual persons, individual instances of human natures, specific human beings who I can pick out with specific names. And similarly, when we're referring to God, we have specific names that pick out specific individual divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are personal names that pick out specific divine persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. All three are God, and yet as the Creed reminds us, there are not three gods, but one God in three persons. And the Creed calls us not to confound or confuse the persons. That is, the Father is not the Son, the Father is the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit, the Son is the Son. And we don't want someone to confuse us with another person, and the creed calls us not to confuse the persons of the Trinity with one another. Now, how does all this creedal language help us to understand Scripture? Well, let's take these, these three persons, one nature terminology idea to, to our reading from our gospel this morning. Here again, the last few verses from our reading from John 16, starting in verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think it'd be pretty easy to look at this passage and think a lot of wrong things about God. It'd be easy to think something like, well, maybe the Father's like the real God and Jesus is just some cool human teacher and the Spirit's like the Force from Star Wars. That'd be easy to think. Or it might be easy to think, huh, all these three are doing God things. Maybe Christians have three gods, like the ancient Greeks. It's easy to see how one might fall into those kind of interpretations, but those aren't the best way to read the passage. Rather, if we take the Athanasian Creed with us, and we're reading of this passage, we take with us this substance and person distinction, and I think we can see how this passage is illuminated to reveal both the unity and the diversity of our triune God. 
God is both one, relating to the substance, and three, relating to the persons. For instance, when Jesus says in verse 15, all the Father has is mine, he doesn't mean this in some kind of like, you know, cute nicety, like I can totally borrow my dad's Ferrari or something like that. No, he means it literally and eternally, because although the Father and the Son are different persons, they are one and the same God, the same substance. They both are the creator and the sustainer of all of reality, and in, in virtue of this, have everything. Similarly, can the person-substance distinction help us to understand Jesus when he says of the Spirit, he says, he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. The Spirit here is not the force, this is personal language. The Spirit hears and speaks, not as some kind of impersonal automaton or something, but it's a divine person, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son, in an intimate relationship of give and receive with the Father and the Son. And I think for us, one of, the, one of the practical payoffs for thinking about the doctrine of the Trinity when reading this passage is I hope that it assures us, it gives us confidence that our path into the future is being guided by the triune God. Just last week, we commemorated Pentecost as that feast where we remember that the Holy Spirit has descended upon all Christians. And here in John 16, Jesus says that the Spirit will guide the followers of Christ into all truth. That's us. We're, we're the followers of Jesus. And this side of Pentecost, we all have the Spirit to lead us into the truth. I don't think Jesus just means here that we'll get the right answer on a theology pop quiz. There's not a theology pop quiz. But. <laughs> it's not just propositional knowledge here, as important as I think that is. But just previously there in John, Jesus had referred to himself as the truth, saying that he was the way and the truth and the life and the only way to the Father. And that's where we're heading. We're heading to the Father, through the Son, and in the Spirit. And think about these Trinitarian categories. Of course Jesus is the truth, for he is God. Previously in John 3 and John 8, Jesus said that God was true. And of course God is true, because God is the basis for all truth, as the foundation for all of reality. And likewise is the Spirit God, and so the Spirit is true. Jesus even calls the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And when the Spirit takes from what is Christ's and declares it to us, the Spirit is leading us into a future that culminates in the Father. When we rely on the Spirit for our steps into the future, we're putting ourselves in a position to be in touch with the Spirit who has descended upon each and every one of us. We're relying on a person who by substance is God. And so on this Trinity Sunday, and in this ordinary time liturgical season that follows, let's seek, to, let's seek the Spirit who leads us to the Son, who is the way to the Father. And following the creeds, let us worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, holding fast to the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity. Amen. <laughs>